Welcome to Center State CEO's semi-monthly podcast, Talk CNY, presented by NBT Bank. On Talk CNY, you get an inside look at the people, projects, and planning moving Central New York forward. I'm Andrew Fish, Senior Vice President of Member and Business Experience at Center State CEO, Central New York's leading business leadership and economic development organization. And I'm Kate Hammer, business coach and member at Center State CEO. We are your hosts for Talk CNY. Take a moment right now to subscribe in your listening app for new episodes every other Wednesday. If you just invest in the place that the people there might not benefit that or get forced out and lead to things like gentrification, that is a concern. And if you just invest in the people and not in the place, then the people will likely move out because it no longer has things that they want to maybe take advantage of as their economic mobility increases. And so place-based economic development is kind of like layering those two things together. On this episode of Talk CNY, we'll talk to two members of our Center State CEO team, Andy Obernesser, Director of Community Investment, and Jonathan Link-Logan, Senior Manager of Neighborhood Development. Andy and Jonathan have worked for years to make our Syracuse neighborhoods thriving and more equitable. Welcome, Andy and Jonathan. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Absolutely. You've both been doing this work for a number of years. You know, Jonathan, you've been doing this for over a decade. And we just want to know what got you started in neighborhood-based economic development. And Jonathan, why don't you answer first? Sure. So for me, my work in this kind of grew out of my training in ESF and landscape architecture. I took a studio course where we got an opportunity to work with a neighborhood uh, on the east side and really get a chance to meet with and interact with the residents of that community and help them put together a vision plan for what their community could look like in the next 10 years. And that really kind of sort of set my path on this career in working with neighborhood residents to try and help them have a voice in what ultimately they will live and work in every day. I guess for me, the connection to this work in Syracuse is that my mom and my grandmother grew up on the city's north side and my wife and I live in the house that my family has been in for about 100 years. And during the pandemic, we bought the vacant house next door and have been renovating that as well. That's fantastic. That is so cool. Yeah. All right. putting your Putting your work into action. Yeah. How about you, Andy? So I grew up just outside of Utica, came to Syracuse uh, about 12 years ago or so. Worked for a few years as a land use and community planner with a consulting firm and really just like the opportunity to be able to do this work, you know, focused on making improvements to the to the built environment and to the kind of business environment in a in a place that I've come to call home was really important to me. So joined Center State in 2019. Both awesome. fantastic members of the team here doing important work. I'm sure throughout this conversation, we're going to hear the term placed based economic development from the two of you. Before we get into some of the more meatier questions, could could you give us a quick definition of what that means so that our listeners can understand kind of the, the roots of that when we're talking about place-based economic development? Sure. So this is, we do use that term uh, a fair bit. This is really about kind of centering our economic development strategies on the competitive advantages and priorities of the places that we serve. So whether that's at the neighborhood scale, the city scale, the region, what have you. It's really, so what we're doing in that is really identifying and trying to facilitate improvements to the the physical environment, the uh, civic environment, and the business environment really in service of supporting the economic mobility of the people who live and work in those neighborhoods. So it takes a variety of different forms. You know, thinking back the, the better part of a decade plus, this organization has involved been involved with place-based economic development. We think of 
the work that we did in support of like the, the Elmcrest Children's Center or the Bob School Project on Prospect Ave or the, the work that we do with disadvantaged business owners in distressed neighborhoods. You know, the advocacy and coalition building that we've done around issues like I-81 or like getting the, the state's land bank legislation passed a decade ago. So it takes a variety of different forms, but really at the end of the day, it's about Know, leveraging economic growth in those areas uh, to create economic opportunity for the for the folks in those neighborhoods. What would you say is the most rewarding part of this work for you? For me, I think it's been the ability to build relationships with neighborhood residents, whether that's on the north side or throughout the city of Syracuse. The example I'd kind of like to share for that is there's a woman that I've been working with for over a decade now. Her name is Rosalinda Abbey. <laughs> she owns the African and Caribbean Central Market. And I got to know her first in the early 2010s when she took advantage of one of our New York Main Street grants to improve the business, um, the building that she had her business in at that time. It allowed her to expand her business and grow her business to a point where she eventually needed to find a new space. So she rented another location on the city's north side, but had to move out of that for some unforeseen circumstances outside of her control. And during that process, wound up purchasing a new building that she, for the last two and a half years, has been working to renovate to expand her business in also on the north side. And, and I guess like thinking through that for me, it's been a, a, the ability to watch her grow her business and increase her family wealth by now the fact that she owns two businesses or two buildings on the city's north side, helping her serve her community better, which isn't just here in the city of Syracuse, but she has customers who come as far away as Pennsylvania. And then also, you know, helping her sort of help stabilize this important corridor in our city that, you know, really has a lot, a lot, a lot to offer. Yeah, that does sound incredibly rewarding. Absolutely. What about you, Andy? Yeah, you know, I so similar to to Jonathan's relationship with Roslinda, I think that like being able to be witness to the folks that we serve and and the things that they're doing to use their businesses as a force for social good is really it just kind of fills you with gratitude, right? So you know, you get to see like the tenacity, the the dedication, the commitment these folks have to their communities, to, to their families, to their neighborhood. It's just really impressive. The folks that we work with, whether it's Tanika Jones at It Takes a Village or Ulyss Moiety at Taste of Africa, or, you know, I mean, we could go on and on. It's really just, it fills you with gratitude to be able to serve folks like that, that are doing such incredible work on some hard projects in, in tough communities. You know, it's funny. We a lot of times the headlines are about the big projects, right? The hundreds of jobs or thousands of jobs being created, but really it's the small business impact that actually moves an economy. We know that, right? Small businesses where the majority of jobs are created in this country and, and certainly in this community. We've got a lot of programs that we kind of are working with and designing to help facilitate this, right? I mean, obviously the direct technical support that you've provided Roslinda is important, but we also kind of offer some programs across the board to help small businesses, to help entrepreneurs. Can you talk a little bit about those and what are some of the successes that we've seen over the years? I guess I would say in terms of like what's most important there isn't necessarily the the programs or initiatives per se, right? Sure. It's more like the the approach and the service that we're offering. So I think of like one of the things that's made a big difference in a lot of the projects that we support is our ongoing commitment to to kind of deep and focused one-on-one -on -one work. So coaching, handholding, troubleshooting, consulting, you know, all that work that we would consider to be like our deep dive technical assistance. It's really, it's a service that we offer across multiple different programs, but it's really that 
kind of commitment to sitting down and and hashing through complicated projects with small business owners over an extended period of time that has really made a big difference and, and has helped a lot of those small businesses to get launched and to and to grow and pivot. And I, so I would say it's it's more the the approach than than programs per se. Sure. When you think about the direct impact that programming through Center State CEO has had on the people and the businesses that you're working with, can you give us another just specific example, something that you've seen that's brought someone a lot of success? Sure. Yeah. You know, one of the first that comes to mind, I, I know that, so we've had Shawnee Davis in on the podcast. You know, she's obviously been a great success in terms of her launch and growth of her business. Another one that comes to mind that maybe doesn't get quite the amount of coverage is Doreen Lecky at Ali Fix It. So Doreen is somebody that we've been able to serve in partnership with the city of Syracuse and the community foundation. So they had given us the support to try to uh, increase the capacity of minority-owned contractors who could take on more lead paint remediation projects in the city of Syracuse. So obviously a big public health crisis um, that both the city and the community foundation care deeply about. So we were able to bring our services to bear to increase Duren's capacity as a contractor through our Upstart Technical Assistance Program. And we were able to get him you know, his first loan, hook him up with accounting services, really work with him in kind of sort Sorting out some of those first business planning exercises that he had to do, projecting his finances, things like that. Working with other service providers like SBDC to try to help Duren sort out some of those initial business planning exercises, financial projections, those sort of things. To, to really get him to a point where he could take on uh, a lot more work. So he's taken on a lot more contracts. He's going to be looking for his first office in the not too distant future. So it's really, you know, seeing the commitment of folks like Duren, that's been a huge success for us. And it's... And it's certainly really rewarding. I think one of the things that makes center state CEOs work in helping support small businesses like this so important is that we kind of act as that friends and family network for folks who might not have the access to that or the access to that is thinner than it might be for others. And I, I kind of look at that not just as sort of, you know, traditionally when you think of that, it's maybe more on the financing side of the equation, but it's also about kind of walking alongside them in this process and, and bringing the ability to be a dot connector to say, you know, if, you, if you're if you looking for this, there's this service out there or this consultant out there who can help you. And then also, and, and lastly, and maybe sometimes most importantly, kind of being there when the waves get really choppy and they're kind of ready to like, like throw it all away and, st and mm -hmm. stop because it's so hard and just kind of help them push through that and being their sort of like cheerleader or mental health professional or yeah. whatever you want to call it. It is important to understand that a lot of individuals don't have those same access to resources. And I know that that's what this, this work really is designed to do is, is set up that system to support individuals who traditionally not had that opportunity to make a difference in those communities. Absolutely. So it was recently announced that the Allen Family Foundation is going to be, has acquired the Chimes building, is going to be redeveloping it into 150 mixed-use residential units. I know both of you have been a part of getting this project off the ground and ready to go. How is this project, this redevelopment, first, why is it so important? And how is it different from traditional property redevelopment that we've seen? And, and what is that difference doing to kind of drive some of that, you know, equitable growth that we're looking to see? Sure. So I would say kind of first and foremost, how it's different is you have to think about how transformative it is when you have a change agent hmm. driving the project like the Allen Family Foundation is, right? So we looked 
look right across the street, you need no more evidence of their commitment to that kind of long-term benevolent perspective as a property developer than the Salt City market, right? So to be able to have them and, you know, and their perspective as kind of long-term stewards of their community, it's really important that they're involved in this work. This is not out-of-town developers. This is not somebody who's coming in looking to extract wealth out of a building, right? So this is a foundation who is looking to use real estate development as a tool to help strengthen a, neighbor, a neighborhood and really create community wealth. Absolutely. So what's the importance when you think about, you know, you, the term is mixed income residential. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of that when you think about place-based economic development. See, I told you I was going to bring that back. You did do that. <laughs> I feel like the importance of mixed income developments, like what we're helping to support at the Chimes Project, is that it's not something that's been widely done in our community and is has the potential to be significantly transformative in what the access to resources look like for folks across the spectrum. So first, mixed income for the way that we define that means that it will allow for folks who are, live at all different levels of income to have access to a, a unit in that building. So that's low income, you know, of very affordable units all the way through workforce housing and then market rate. So you know, your higher income folks. And I think that kind of is unique in the sense that there isn't a lot of really prominent examples of that here in Syracuse. And at a time when we're really, without even Micron on the horizon, we are facing a housing issue. And then you layer on top of that Micron, having the Allen Family Foundation out in front leading what could be something that hopefully would be not just a model here in Syracuse, but as we think about the entire county and, and further afield of what could the potential be to sort of deconcentrate poverty and 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 allow access to resources and, and housing in, in different parts of our community. It's an important way to build a community and, and, and get people interacting with each other and, and, and get people feeling like they're in this shared ownership neighborhood with other people. And, and I think that's a key to kind of disrupting some of the challenges we've seen in the past, right? And mm -hmm. moving more towards equitable growth where all people prosper. What sort of challenges do the business owners you work with run into? And are there some examples maybe that have served as inspiration to Center State CEO in the way that you have come about offering programming? I think I'm going to go back to Rosalinda for a second. One of the problems that I think she experienced in her process of purchasing this building was that she did it at a time when the pandemic was just kind of ramping up. Mm -hmm. And so she had purchased the building with a little bit of extra in her mortgage to help her fund this redevelopment. That little bit very rapidly became quite insufficient. And so we helped her go through the process of identifying different financial resources that were out there and applying for some of those. And in one particular instance, the the closing, that getting through that closing, there were a whole bunch of things that turned up in that process. And so we helped her connect to different resources to fix those challenges and really just like, you know, be able to do her project because I think without the access to those funds, she would have had a much more challenging project ahead of her because she would have had to layer on different things and maybe not been able to overcome some of the challenges that were uncovered in, in the process of her closing. I'd also probably just add there, and this kind of goes back to something you were saying earlier, Andrew, about network. One of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to enhance people's access to a network of service providers, just kind of 
helpers, you know, folks that can help them launch and grow their businesses. And it's really like, if you don't have that network, entrepreneurship and small business ownership can be super lonely. Mm. So I think just like as a, as a kind of problem that I think a lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners encounter that kind of goes under the radar, it can be a, it can be a pretty lonely path and there's not a whole lot of safety nets built into that path, right? So when you think about somebody who's using entrepreneurship and small business ownership uh, as a as a way to grow wealth for themselves and their families and get out of poverty, you know, folks on the margins who don't have that network, it can be an extra lonely path, right? So that's one of the things that we we try to pay attention to, and we're trying to make sure that the the folks that we serve and the and the business owners that we work with are really connected to as many different service providers uh, and kind of just helpers as as we can connect them to in the community. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. The actual you know, the social piece, the emotional piece, and not just the red tape that we might imagine. Right. Yeah. yeah. We'll be back to continue our conversation with Andy and Jonathan, where we'll learn more about some of the projects that are going to be happening to drive community investment and how that'll impact the growth of central New York. But first, a note from our presenting sponsor of TalkCNY, NBT Bank. Every day at NBT Bank, we focus our business around all the ways we can help yours. We're large enough to offer leading business and digital solutions, but local enough to ensure personalized one-on-one service. So turn to NBT Bank for a full range of business solutions, like capital and treasury management services, even fraud protection, and see how NBT Bank is just the right size to help you do big things. Visit nbtbank.com to learn more and start a conversation. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. This is Talk CNY, and we are continuing our conversation with Center State CEOs Andy Obernesser, Director of Community Investment, and Jonathan Link-Logan, Senior Manager of Neighborhood Development. We're in this awesome period of growth right now, right? So how do you hope it affects the entrepreneurs you work with and the neighborhoods that you're investing in? For me, I think what I'm hoping is that some of this investment is brought to bear on the neighborhoods that we work in and the folks who live there and the entrepreneurs who live in those neighborhoods. And by that, I mean, it would be really great to see some of the housing that is being talked about, not just happen in Clay or in some of the outlying suburbs, but also happen in the city of Syracuse, reinvesting in our neighborhoods so that the homes that are there can be repopulated, can get the upgrades that they need and, and be attractive to folks from across the community that some of our neighborhood entrepreneurs who have maybe been toying with the idea of starting a business or starting a business, but not really getting the traction that it deserves for them to see and be able to capture some of that growth. I think the idea that we were talking about earlier about mixed income housing, I, I would love to see that start to play out more in our neighborhood. So a lot of great stuff ahead of us. Clearly, we've got some intentionality around how we want to do this work. But what's ahead for the community investment team as we finish out 2023 and as we go into 2024? What are some of the projects, some of the new initiatives? How are how are things playing out for us? Yeah, we've got a busy few months ahead. We are helping to staff the Micron Community Engagement Committee's process. So helping them. For, to... for those that may not know, sorry, Community Engagement Committee is a group that was put together by Micron in, in New York State that's really focusing on 
on some of the ways that this growth is going to have an impact across the region and some of the key issues that we need to work with. So I just want to make sure both yeah. knew what that was. Sorry yeah, so continue. no, that's that's great context. Really trying to help that committee to, to identify what some of those priorities are so that we can maximize the opportunity for place-based economic development. So helping to staff that, we are expanding our own capacity to be an alternative lender for some of the folks that we work with in our small business in entrepreneurship programs. So that's really keeping us busy. That's uh, some some great work that we've been involved in for the better part of a, a couple of years trying to grow that capacity. We are supporting a couple of projects that are really interesting in the city of Syracuse. So playing a supporting role on things like the, the city of Syracuse's East Adams Neighborhood Redevelopment Initiative in support of the city and Blueprint 15. Also, obviously, uh, working to support the, the project at Chimes, which is really exciting and working to support a project over at the former Syracuse Developmental Center to help land a advanced manufacturing facility at that site. So it's great. It's the big derelict building next to the zoo currently is, the, is that site. If yes. folks are unfamiliar with it, we're working on the manufacturing side and I know there's about 600 units of housing that's planned for the other half of that site. So that's great. Yes. Very transformative for that neighborhood. So. Awesome. It sounds like we've got a tremendous amount of projects, opportunity, a lot of work still to do to ensure that this growth happens equitably and can be place-based as we would like to like it to be so that we've got that layering in of investment in the place and investment in the people so that those communities can thrive. Jonathan, Andy, thank you both so much for joining us today. Really appreciate all that you do and for your time today. Thank you for, having, for us. having us. Center State CEO's podcast, Talk CNY, is presented by NPT Bank and is available on clickcny.com and all major podcast platforms. After each episode, join us in Click, where we will continue to chat about this topic and provide additional resources and links. In Click, you can also listen to or watch every episode of this series of Talk CNY. Click is Center State CEO's digital chamber platform, where our members connect, learn, and receive support from our staff. For new episode reminders every other Wednesday, be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. If you're enjoying Talk CNY, consider leaving a quick review or a five-star rating.